The first line of Psalm 138 that we just sang is, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. And heartfelt worship is one of what we call the 10 healthy missional markers. Some of you are familiar with that term. For others, it might be new. But we have, uh, in the covenant, we have a, a church revitalization effort called Church Vitality or begins with a program called Veritas. And we've been on this little pathway for about four or five years. And some of the uh, points along the way, what we've learned about the marks of a healthy church. Uh, we've had the simple phrase that a, a healthy church pursues Christ and pursues Christ's priorities. But we've also had these 10 missional markers along the way. And we've done some survey work called a pulse survey. We did it about four years ago and we did it again a year ago where it sort of assesses our strength of our church from our answers. And heartfelt worship is one of those 10 markers. Uh, when we did it about four years ago, heartfelt worship was, was ranking a little bit low on the scale there and trying to understand what that meant. It, it came back up somewhat a few years uh, last year, uh, but we're still working that. We're still understanding that. And that was some of the words that Thomas just shared this morning as he opened the service. We talked about what he would say and what we would do this service and what I'd like to bring today too. We're understanding, we're learning what it means to worship from the heart or heartfelt worship. When it comes to worship in the local church, it's a challenge to know just where to land. It's easy to read a lot of things on Facebook or other things that are critical of things we do, but it's hard to find the things that are positive and encouraging about what we ought to do and who we ought to be. We know some things. We, we, we know that worship is really supposed to be about God and not about us, right? We, we kind of know that. We, we know in our heads that worship is supposed to be about God and responding to him, as Thomas shared at the beginning. We know that it has to do with our hearts and not just our heads. We know that it's not just going through the motions. Why would we do this if it was just ritual and going through the motions? So we know it has something to do with our hearts connecting with him and giving worth to God. We know, we, we know deep down that worship is not dependent on a certain style of worship. We know that worship is not dependent on the volume being too loud or too soft. We know it's not dependent on that. We know that the worship is, is actually not dependent on the relative skills of the preacher or the musicians. No more comments there, but seriously, we, we, we know that it should not be dependent on all those little factors that it has something to do deeper. That worship should happen with or without great music or with or without great preaching. That it's a response of the heart. But we also know this. We also know that scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 calls, Paul calls the church to do everything decently in order. There should be some order and direction to what we do when we gather for worship. We know that in the Old Testament there was a lot of great detail given to how worship would be done and how it would be done with excellence. We know that worship in our context here in terms of our, our uh, own vision is that it needs to be an inviting atmosphere. So, so things need to happen that it be inviting. We know that those of us who are responsible for what happens up here have some responsibility to, 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 that, this be, uh, uh, that, that, that we facilitate or at least set the table where a heart connection can be made. So we have some responsibility in that. We also know that worship ultimately should have nothing to do with a consumer mindset, but that's hard. Something I read this week that said when you ask the questions, how was worship this week? How was the sermon? Those are pretty typical questions we'll ask each other if you aren't in church, that those are consumer questions. How was worship on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, it was pretty good, but they sang a song I didn't like, and the band really screwed up the transition between song 2 and song 3. So you didn't worship, huh? Whose fault is that? <laughs> you know, so there is a little bit of a consumer mindset that we bring to it, and yet there is that sense of it being inviting. It's a challenge. 
It's a challenge to acknowledge both those things that are free from style and preference and yet those things that need to be in order and need to be in place for our corporate worship to happen. It's a great challenge, but in the midst of it all, we know that it must have something, though, to do with our heart. It must have something to do with what makes us tick, and it must have something to do with the heart of God as well. So today we're going to look a little bit at heartfelt worship, their worship from the heart. We're going to jump off from this text in Psalm 138.1 that says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. And I have a rather grand proposition right now, and I'm not going to pull this all apart, but ultimately, to be fully worshiping from the heart will mean bringing all of me before all of God with all the church. <laughs> all of me, my, my soul, all that I am, everything should be fully worshiping from the heart will mean bringing all of me before all of God with all the church. Now that's an awful lot, but I believe we're on our way. We're going to look a little bit at understanding what we mean when we talk about the heart, understanding the heart. Secondly, we'll look a little bit at understanding some things about worship that we may know, but we want to set them in context and see how those relate to the heart. And then just a quick word on understanding community as well. Understanding the heart, we need to get at some definitions here and what the direction of our heart ought to be. And first of all, we need to learn and we need to remember that the heart in the biblical literature is not just a place of warm, fuzzy emotion. I know this worked its way into a sermon just a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating that the heart in biblical literature is not just a place of feeling and emotion. The heart is very much the center of who we are. The heart is very much the core of our being, the command center, if you will. The place where our thoughts come from as well as our emotion. The place where our will is seated too. The things that that we decide to do. The things that drive us. The things that motivate us are all part of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Or the New Living Version says, Above all else, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. And for some of us, maybe the old words of the King James still resonate here because we've maybe sung them in an anthem sometime. But the King James says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart, the heart directs us, the heart defines us. We're to love and worship from that place. And the scripture speaks of where the heart should be directed or set. In Colossians 3, 1, the Apostle Paul says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart on things above. Look up to where God is. And we're right, Christ is at work. It's a heavenly, godly orientation. Kind of a, a true north for our hearts, if you will. And as it should be, it draws us in the direction of God, how he wants us to live, how he wants us to love him. And more importantly, That's what empowers genuine worship when we set our hearts in the direction of what God is doing. That's not always where our hearts are directed, though, is it? (laughs) There's the issue when we speak of our hearts of the, the very corruption of our hearts as well and the correction that God offers. Scripture makes it clear that our spiritual hearts in their natural condition are not very bright. In fact, they're somewhat dark. (laughs) They're they're naturally focused inward rather than focused outward towards God. The prophet Jeremiah who agonizes over all the things that he's called to do and then agonizes over his his own fitness for the task as prophet declares in 17.9 the human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Not Jeremiah's most glorious moment. Not necessarily a life verse for any of us and yet the reality that he was facing of seeing how the darkness of a heart can pull us away from God. 
And even a healthy heart that loves God and serves God can get sick and can wander away. The story of King Solomon who began in such a a strong place of being a a key leader and and making a choice for wisdom rather than a choice for riches and writing many of the Proverbs that we have now is the inspired word of God. Solomon, it says in 1 Kings 11, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. Solomon's heart had been filled with light and then had turned towards a darker place and it was not like the heart of his father David, but when we know the story of, of David, a, a man who was called in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen, a man after God's own heart, we even know that his heart wandered away. It was affected by lust and it wandered away to adultery with Bathsheba, resulting even in the murder of her husband. And the death of a child as a result of his sin and disobedience and it left David broken-hearted. But the story of David is so pivotal because he sought the correction as well. He came back to the love of God with his whole heart. Psalm 51 speaks of this repentance and it's turned from corruption to correction, to understanding the depth of grace and forgiveness. And we have his repentance and forgiveness in Psalm 51. Verse 17 says this, The sacrifice you want, God, is a broken spirit. A broken and repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. For David, it was the experience of brokenness was the only way that he really understood the fullness of who God is. It's in our own experiences of brokenness when we really understand that God is the one who puts things back together. I know in my own story where there have been places of brokenness or hiding or looking past things where God has gotten my attention and broken me to a place where I did not fall apart, but I fell into his grace. And I can speak more boldly about grace. I can worship more fully because I know what he's done in my life. Our own hearts must break over our own wandering hearts, over our own failure and sin. And then God puts us back together with his love and grace and we can do nothing less than love him more. We love him more because we have received much. It's like the story of the one who's been forgiven little, the one who's been forgiven much, who gave even more praise and devotion to God. That's what makes our worship genuine. We are grateful and amazed. We are amazed at a God who fixed and renewed and restored even me. That empowers our worship and makes it rich and real. A worship out of the broken place where God has brought correction. That's the kind of renewed heart can give. A heart more ready to worship him. A heart more ready to love him by obeying him, trusting him, following him, enjoying him. And that takes us really to another part of the heart is it is a place for emotion and devotion. I realize I can get so focused sometimes on explaining worship as awareness or explaining worship as a response that it's about a connection and commitment that I can try so hard to explain that it's so much more than, you know, I heart God that sometimes emotion can be forgotten or thrown into question. The worship of God is a heart connection, but that means that emotions are there. It's okay. It's okay to have some emotion involved in the singing of the song or or a response to a stirring, dynamic sermon sometimes. (laughs) It's good. We get emotional over a sporting event. Why not over something that has deeper value, like the love of God? Worship of God is a heart connection. The emotions are there. But the emotions aren't just the happy, feel-good, the happy, happiness part. But the emotions sometimes can be the other kind. We need to listen in worship that sometimes we need to listen to the places where our heart is heavy and our heart is burdened. 
when, things, when difficult things have happened within our own church community and there has been a, a tragic loss. We feel the depth of that. We feel that emotion too. Or something is happening in the world where there's a, where there's a, a terrorist attack and lives are lost. Or a, or a mass shooting in our own country. We feel the heaviness. We feel that emotion as well. And we allow God to take us even in those dark emotions to a place of connecting with him. Where we are safe in his love. Where we get his perspective. Where we identify with him and we feel a deeper connection with him who can only bring the answers to some of these difficult questions. Emotions are important. They don't drive the train. They don't drive the worship necessarily, but they're part of it. They're part of this connection with God. Our emotions are a gift from God and they lead us into a deeper devotion. Just read the Psalms if you don't believe me. <laughs> That's where they are. So the heart is this place of, uh, uh, of depth that it comes from. It's a place that can be broken and healed. It's a place that feels the emotion. Let's take that understanding of heart and now discuss worship a little bit. A little bit of an understanding of worship itself. First of all, worship is celebrating who God is. We, we ascribe worth to God. We, we thank God for who he is. We, we focus on his attributes, for example. We, we focus on his love, his mercy, his power, his justice, his compassion, his patience. Those are the attributes of God. And they all come into play as we worship. They become the base for some of the, the lyrics that we sing in worship and in worship songs and in hymns. Our first, uh, our first volunteer choir of the song this morning was Holy, Holy, Holy. We stand amazed at the, at, 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 in the Trinitarian nature of God. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity, Holy, Holy, Holy. We, we, we are reminded that God is holy. He is set apart. There's no one like our God. And we come to know him in the, the fullness of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we sing of the attributes of God. But the place where it connects with our hearts is when we are the recipient of those attributes. Particularly the, the rescuing attributes, the redeeming attributes, where God has, has, has saved me, God has rescued me, God has healed me. Or we could connect with, the, with the, the providing qualities of God. We say, my life is so rich, my life is so blessed, thank you God. And when we reflect on that and realize what a gift life is, we realize that he is the giver of life. And so there's that attribute and we respond to it with our heartfelt worship. The psalmist says in 80, Psalm 86, 5 through 6, Lord, you are, a for, you are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. Attributes, forgiving and good. And I'm going to cry out for mercy in my worship of you. Because God is good and loving and we have genuinely experienced that. He can be called upon with reassurance that he will answer. That is a cause for celebration, celebrating who he is. Worship then involves the affirmation, response to the nature and the being of God. It is a celebration, it is a jubilee, a joyous recounting of who God is. But worship, secondly, is also a celebration of what God does. And we've talked about that some already, but to hit it again, our God is a God who acts. Our God is not a, a passive God who just set things in motion and then passively watches the actions of women and men. But God gets actively involved in our lives. God brings salvation. God brings deliverance. God brings protection to all who call upon him. His work is a redemptive work. He is always wooing us and calling us back to himself. He's always at work to do that, to show his love to us if we happen to notice and look for him. It's so all-surpassing, this constant ongoing work of God of drawing us back. It's so all-surpassing that there's nothing really that humanity could do to, to pay back this kind of debt of love that we owe. 
And so the best response to the constant action of God is a, is a public declaration of his works. To have received from God, uh, however we receive from God, in a way puts us in a place of obligation to praise him. We've received so much that we have an obligation to praise him, an obligation, biblically I would say, to praise him publicly and to give testimony to the things that this God has done in our lives and the lives of people we know. I thought of that in connection to Andre Crouch. I don't know if you all remember Andre Crouch, great gospel singer for several decades. And he died. He died on January 8th. Not very, he was only in his early 70s, I believe. He was one of the gospel greats and known for a lot of his music, but I thought of the words of the song, My Tribute. And listen to what Crouch says. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved that you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to you. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Celebrating what God does in that song. And if you leave today going, well, I wonder why we didn't sing that song if the pastor referenced it. That's because the pastor didn't think of including this till sometime yesterday and all the music was ready for this morning. So don't blame Thomas, blame me. But let that song be a reminder that it isn't just a great gospel song that Andre Crouch gave us, but it it is this celebrating who God is and it celebrate what he's done. How can I say thanks? Well, I will give it a try in my worship. The voice of a million, we can never never pay that debt of gratitude. A voice of a million angels isn't enough. But I will owe it all to you and give you the glory. Another way here to understand worship in the heart is to say that we are all in. We're all in. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about worship in Romans 12.1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies to God. When we read in the Old Testament, particularly when the children of Israel had gone through the Red Sea and they were wandering in the wilderness, God gave them a system of worship. This is where God kind of ordained what worship would be like for the Old Testament people. And it was a system of elaborate ritual and worship, but it was all around the the theme of sacrifice. And in that system of sacrifice, it made sense to the people because livestock was just a common part of their life. It was as common to them as, as our, 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 our automobiles and our homes and our, our phones and tablets and things are now. It, livestock was what they owned and was their wealth. And so they were asked from time to time or often to give up those animals. It was a great sacrifice to express love to God and gratitude back to God. But here when we come to the New Testament, Jesus' followers are asked to go much farther than giving of something like like wealth or animals or livestock or funds. Paul suggests here that we are the gift. Present yourselves, your bodies. Not just your heads and your minds, your spirits, but present your bodies to God. We are to give ourselves. We are to be the gift. We are to offer our whole selves. Not just the spiritual religious me, but my whole body my whole being, my soul, my essence. And why? Because God just likes to have us around. God God would rather have us with him than all of our busyness and activity that even looks kind of religious. God just likes to have us. If you are a parent with adult children or you are an adult child with a parent, you get this. 
We just kind of want to be with our kids, even though they're kind of busy doing life now, right? But there's that sense of, you know, we'd almost just rather have them around than, and have a long explanation of why they can't get together. <laughs> just tell me the next time you're going to be here. Can we meet up with you? When's the next opportunity? Or these days, fortunately, we have things like FaceTime. So my grandchildren know me as a little face on a screen. But so what, you know? And God, in his holiness, loves us so much that that's why he wants us to present our whole selves. Not just a quick prayer, not just a quick quiet time to check off the scripture that we read, but he wants us and our hearts with him. That, says Paul here, is holy and pleasing to God. The true worship is the presence with him. This dimension, this understanding of worship is obviously bigger than a Sunday morning gathering. It's a life posture. But that Sunday morning gathering, that's still important to us as well. That's important for heartfelt worship as well. So let's just look at community. I'm actually going to preach more on Christian community two weeks from today on February 8th. But just a, a couple things quick before we wrap her up. Worship is both, and we probably most of us know this, it's both personal and corporate. We spend time alone with, with God. We worship him however we want to in our room or in the car with the radio on or not or listening to something. But the corporate part is important. I thought of this as I read an email um, from Darlene Brown to Pastor Diana. Uh, Darlene is, is doing okay, but she kind of needs to stay home for a while here because she needs to avoid any kind of infection now. It's the flu bug that kind of dropped all her blood levels, and so she's staying home. And she, uh, Diana had checked in with her, and then Diana forwarded, me, uh, forwarded to me her reply. And one of the things that Darlene said was this, I hope to get back to church soon. I do miss it. Praise just isn't the same by yourself. But God enjoys our praise whether we're in church or at home. But I love that. I hope to get back to church soon. I do miss it. Praise just isn't the same by yourself. And Darlene, let me say, is one person who is not afraid to praise in this room. She does not go, gosh, I wonder if I should lift my hands. I might be embarrassed. If she's feeling it, her hands are up, maybe. Baby, she loves to worship God. So she's getting the personal and corporate. She's worshiping there at home. But, you know, it's just not the same by yourself. We need that corporate expression as well. We need the corporate expression of praise. We even need the corporate expression of of struggle, the corporate lamenting and repenting that we sometimes need to do in worship as well. We need both. We need each other. There's the unity and diversity that we experience as we gather. We recognize our oneness, our unity in Christ, but we come and we come ready to to welcome each other, but also to welcome each other in our differences, even making small sacrifices in favor of unity. Listen to the words of Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, and what they say about the way we treat each other and the way we function with each other. Think about this in the context of our worship. I often use these texts for a wedding, for a couple, but think about them now in terms of worship. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I loved rediscovering that passage in these last couple days in the context of worship. Not just our relationships, not just the marriage relationship, not just ongoing, but actually in worship. Receiving teaching, singing psalms and hymns and other kinds of songs. Doing it with gratitude. And even this last one, whatever you do, we often do that with our, about our jobs. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. But it's what we do here too. It's that corporate expression of unity in the midst of our diversity as we uphold Christ. And finally, as we gather in community to worship in the heart, it is also to be an encouragement to each other and to lead to a response. It's one of the reasons that we're supposed to go to church. It's supposed to be a time of encouragement of each other. <laughs> You've heard about the duns? You know what duns are, right? Not, not the nuns. The nuns are those, not N-O-N-E-S, are the ones that don't go to church anymore, don't want to have anything to do with the religion. The duns still love Jesus, still want to follow him, but they're done with church. because of the disappointments, the frustrations, the disagreements that have happened. They're done with the older brothers. We're going to learn that in our Lenten study. We're all a little bit of the older brother in us too. But what we need to fight against is we need to keep nurturing our community so that we're not that kind of place that would turn off and turn away a done, but we need to do what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There were duns then too as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be together to remind each other what God, who God is and what God's done. We do that in worship. We need to be to each other, with each other so that we're telling our stories and saying, this is the place where I was broken and God put me back together. We need to be together to say, this is the place where I was in deep need and God provided in a wonderful, miraculous way. We need to hear each other's story, celebrate each other's stories, and lift up who God is together. And it's not just so we leave feeling good, but we're to spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's all about what kind of people we are and the kind of lives we live when we walk out those doors. Because it all comes out in the fruit of response of how we love and serve God. That is a response of heart saying, I want to do something that makes a difference. And I need this community to inspire me. I need this community to remind me. I need this community to provide the resources. I need this community to equip me. That's what we have in our vision statement. That we will be an inviting community equipping people to go make a kingdom difference. We need the community for that. So we need to live into this task of worshiping from the heart. Not just for our own heart but that our hearts would connect with each other and connect with God as well. I will worship the Lord with all my heart. To God be the glory. Let's finish with just a a moment for you to reflect a little bit on some of this as we close. And then the worship band has a couple worship songs to help us kind of bring some of this home. But let's just be silent for a moment and then I will close this time in prayer. What will be your response today? Lord Jesus, you've called us to bring our very hearts uh, before you. Help us understand, Lord, that that's not a mushy, gushy place, but that's all that we are and 
who we are, what motivates us, what drives us. And Lord, we ask that you would bring our hearts fully alive, that a response of worship would be out of the depth of gratitude, out of the depth of need, out of the broken places crying out for help, out of the places where we repent and receive of you in fresh new ways. We want to be people who respond from the heart. And we want to do it better together. We want to be encouragement to one another, to spur one another on to love and to good deeds and to make a difference for the kingdom of God because of who we are as individuals and who we are as a church. Thank you, Lord, for your patience as we work this out and as we learn. And we give you thanks in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.